Story One of Lucy Maud Montgomery Short Stories, 1896 to 1901. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jadopi. Lucy Maud Montgomery Short Stories, 1896 to 1901 by Lucy Maud Montgomery. A Case of Trespass. It was the forenoon of a hazy, breathless day, and Dan Phillips was trouting up one of the back creeks of the Carlton Pond. It was somewhat cooler up the creek than out on the main body of water, for the tall birches and willows, crowding down to the brim, threw cool green shadows across it, and shut out the scorching glare, while a stray breeze now and then rippled down the wooded slopes, rustling the beech leaves with an airy, pleasant sound. Out in the pond the glassy water creamed and shimmered in the hot sun, unrippled by the faintest breath of air. Across the soft pearly tints of the horizon blurred the smoke of the big factory's chimneys that were owned by Mr. Walters, to whom the pond and adjacent property also belonged. Mr. Walters was a comparative stranger in Carleton, having but recently purchased the factories from the heirs of the previous owner but he had been in charge long enough to establish a reputation for sternness and inflexibility in all his business dealings. One or two of his employees, who had been discharged by him on what they deemed insufficient grounds, helped to deepen the impression that he was an unjust and arbitrary man, merciless to all offenders, and intolerant of the slightest infringement on his cast-iron rules. Dan Phillips had been on the pond ever since sunrise, the trout had risen well in the early morning, but as the day wore on, growing hotter and hotter, they refused to bite, and for half an hour Dan had not caught one. He had a goodly string of them already, however, and he surveyed them with satisfaction as he rowed his leaky little skiff to the shore of the creek. "'Pretty good catch,' he soliloquized. "'Best I've had this summer so far. That big spotted one must weigh near a pound. He's a beauty. They're a good price over the hotels now, too.' I'll go home and get my dinner and go straight over with them. That'll leave me time for another try at them about sunset. Whew, how hot it is. I must take Ella May home a bunch of them blue flags. They're real handsome. He tied his skiff under the crowding alders, gathered a big bunch of the purple flag lilies with their silky petals, and started homeward, whistling cheerily as he stepped briskly along the fern-carpeted wood path that wound up the hill under the beeches and firs. He was a freckled, sunburned lad of thirteen years. His neighbors all said that Danny was as smart as a steel trap, and immediately added that they wondered where he got his smartness from, certainly not from his father. The elder Phillips had been denominated shiftless and slack-twisted by all who ever had any dealings with him in his unlucky, aimless life, one of those improvident, easy-going souls who sit contentedly down to breakfast with a very faint idea where their dinner is to come from. When he had died, no one had missed him, unless it were his patient, sad-eyed wife, who bravely faced her hard lot, and toiled unremittingly to keep a home for her two children, Dan and a girl two years younger, who was a helpless cripple, suffering from some form of spinal disease. Dan, who was old and steady for his years, had gone manfully to work to assist his mother. Though he had been disappointed in all his efforts to obtain steady employment, he was active and obliging, and earned many a small amount by odd jobs around the village, 
and by helping the Carlton farmers in planting and harvest. For the last two years, however, his most profitable source of summer income had been the trout pond. The former owner had allowed anyone who wished to fish in his pond, and Dan made a regular business of it, selling his trout at the big hotels over at Mosquito Lake. This, in spite of its unattractive name, was a popular summer resort, and Dan always found a ready market for his catch. When Mr. Walters purchased the property, it somehow never occurred to Dan that the new owner might not be so complacent as his predecessor in the matter of the best trouting pond in the country. To be sure, Dan often wondered why it was the pond was so deserted this summer. He could not recall having seen a single person on it, save himself. Still, it did not cross his mind that there could be any particular reason for this. He always fished up in the cool, dim creeks, which long experience had taught him were best for trout, and came and went by a convenient wood path. But he had no thought of concealment in so doing. He would not have cared had all Carlton seen him. He had done very well with his fish so far, and prices for trout at the lake went up every day. Dan was an enterprising boy, and a general favorite with the hotel owners. They knew that he could always be depended on. Mrs. Phillips met him at the door when he reached home. "'See, mother,' said Dan exultantly, as he held up his fish, "'just look at that fellow, will you? A pound if he's an ounce. I ought to get a good price for these, I can tell you. Let me have my dinner now, and I'll go right over to the lake with them.' "'It's a long walk for you, Danny,' replied his mother pityingly, "'and it's too hot to go so far. I'm afraid you'll get sunstruck or something. You better wait till the cool of the evening. You're looking real pale and thin this while back.' "'Oh, I'm all right, mother,' assured Dan cheerfully. "'I don't mind the heat a bit. "'A fellow must put up with some inconveniences. "'Wait till I bring home the money for these fish, "'and I mean to have another catch tonight. "'It's you that's looking tired. "'I wish you didn't have to work so hard, mother. "'If I could only get a good place, you could take it easier. "'Sam French says that Mr. Walters wants a boy up there at the factory, "'but I know I wouldn't do. "'I ain't big enough.' Perhaps something will turn up soon, though. When our ship comes in, mother, we'll have our good times. He picked up his flags and went into the little room where his sister lay. See what I brought you, Ella May? he said, as he thrust the cool, moist clusters into her thin, eager hands. Did you ever see such beauties? Oh, Dan, how lovely they are. Thank you ever so much. If you're going over to the lake this afternoon, will you please call at Mrs. Henry's and get those nutmeg geranium slips she promised me? Just look how nice my others are growing. Pink one is going to bloom. I'll bring you all the geranium slips at the lake, if you like. When I get rich, Ella May, I'll build you a big conservatory, and I'll get every flower in the world in it for you. You shall just live and sleep among posies. Is dinner ready, mother? Trouting's hungry work, I tell you. "'What paper is this?' He picked up a folded newspaper from the table. "'Oh, that's only an old lake advertiser,' answered Mrs. Phillips, as she placed the potatoes on the table and wiped her moist, hot face with the corner of her gingham apron. "'Letty Mills brought it in around a parcel this morning. It's four weeks old, but I kept it to read, if I ever get time. It's so seldom we see a paper of any kind nowadays. But I haven't looked at it yet. Why, Danny, what on earth is the matter?' for Dan, who had opened the paper and glanced over the first page, suddenly gave a choked exclamation and turned pale, staring stupidly at the sheet before him. "'See, mother,' 
he gasped, as she came up in alarm and looked over his shoulder. This is what they read. Notice. Anyone found fishing on my pond at Carleton after date will be prosecuted according to law without respect of persons. June 1st. H. C. Walters. Oh, Danny, what does it mean? Dan went and carefully closed the door of Ella May's room before he replied. His face was pale and his voice shaky. Mean? Well, mother, it just means that I've been stealing Mr. Walters' trout all summer. Stealing them? That's what it means. Oh, Danny, but you didn't know. No, but I ought to have remembered that he was the new owner and have asked him. I never thought, mother. What does prosecuted according to law mean? I don't know, I'm sure, Danny. But if this is so, there's only one thing to be done. You must go straight to Mr. Walters and tell him all about it. Mother, I don't want to. He's a dreadfully hard man. Sam French's father says— I wouldn't believe a word Sam French's father says about Mr. Walters, said Mrs. Phillips firmly. He's got a spite against him because he was dismissed. Besides, Danny, it's the only right thing to do. You know that. We are poor, but we've never done anything underhand yet. Yes, mother, I know, said Dan, gulping his fear bravely down. I'll go, of course, right after dinner. I was only scared at first. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll clean these trout nicely and take them to Mr. Walters, and tell him that, if he'll only give me time, I'll pay him back every cent of money I got for all I sold this summer. Then maybe he'll let me off, seeing as I didn't know about the notice. I'll go with you, Danny. No, I'll go alone, mother. You needn't go with me, said Dan heroically. To himself he said that his mother had troubles enough. He would never subject her to the added ordeal of an interview with the stern factory owner. He would beard the lion in his den himself, if it had to be done. Don't tell Ella May anything about it. It would worry her. And don't cry, mother. I guess it'll be all right. Let me have my dinner now, and I'll go straight off. Dan ate his dinner rapidly. Then he carefully cleaned his trout, put them in a long basket with rhubarb leaves over them, and started with an assumed cheerfulness very far from his real feelings. He had barely passed the gate when another boy came shuffling along, a tall, raw-boned lad with an insinuating smile and shifty, cunning eyes. The newcomer nodded familiarly to Dan. "'Hello, Sonny. Going over to the lake with your catch, are you? You'll fry up before you get there. There'll be nothing left of you but a crisp.' "'No, I'm not going to the lake. I'm going up to the factory to see Mr. Walters.' Sam French gave a long whistle of surprise. "'Why, Dan, what's taking you there? You surely ain't thinking of trying for that place, are you? Walters wouldn't look at you. Why, he wouldn't take me. You haven't the ghost of a chance.' "'No, I'm not going for that, Sam. Did you know that Mr. Walters had a notice in the lake advertiser that nobody could fish in his pond this summer?' "'Course I did, the old skinflint. He's too mean to live, that's what. He never goes near the pond himself.' regular dog in the manger he is. Dad says, Sam, why didn't you tell me about that notice? Gracious, didn't you know? I supposed everybody did, and here I've been taking you for the cutest chap this side of sunset, fishing away in that creek where no one could see you, and cutting home through the woods on the sly. You don't mean to tell me you never saw that notice. No, I didn't. Do you think I'd have gone near the pond if I had? I never saw it till today. 
and I'm going straight to Mr. Walters now to tell him about it. Sam French stopped short in the dusty road and stared at Dan in undisguised amazement. Dan Phillips, he ejaculated, have you gone plumb out of your mind? Boy alive, you needn't be afraid that I'd peach on you. I'm too blame glad to see anyone get the better of that old Walters, smart as he thinks himself. Gee, to dream of going to him and telling him you've been fishing in his pond? Why, he'll put you in jail. You don't know what sort of a man he is. Dad says, never mind what your dad says, Sam. My mind's made up. Dan, you chump, listen to me. That notice says prosecuted according to law. Why, Danny, he'll put you in prison or fine you or something dreadful. I can't help it if he does, said Danny stoutly. You get out of here, Sam French, and don't be trying to scare me. I mean to be honest. And how can I be if I don't own up to Mr. Walters that I've been stealing his trout all summer? Stealing fiddlesticks, Dan. I used to think you were a chap with some sense, but I see I was mistaken. You ain't done no harm. Walters will never miss them trout. If you're so dreadful squeamish that you won't fish no more, why, you needn't. But just let the matter drop and hold your tongue about it. That's my advice. Well, it isn't my mother's, then. I mean to go by hers. You needn't argue no more, Sam. I'm going. Go, then, said Sam, stopping short in disgust. You're a big fool, Dan, and serve you right if Walter lands you off to jail. But I don't wish you no ill. If I can do anything for your family after you're gone, I will. And I'll try and give your remains Christian burial, if there are any remains. So long, Danny. Give my love to old Walters. Dan was not greatly encouraged by this interview. He shrank more than ever from the thought of facing the stern factory owner. His courage had almost evaporated when he entered the office at the factory and asked shakily for Mr. Walters. "'He's in his office there,' replied the clerk. "'But he's very busy. Better leave your message with me.' "'I must see Mr. Walters himself, please,' said Dan firmly, but with inward trepidation. The clerk swung himself impatiently from his stool and ushered Dan into Mr. Walters' private office. "'Boy to see you, sir,' he said briefly, as he closed the ground-glass door behind him. Dan, dizzy and trembling, stood in the dreaded presence. Mr. Walters was writing at a table covered with a business-like litter of papers. He laid down his pen and looked up with a frown as the clerk vanished. He was a stern-looking man, with deep-set gray eyes and a square, clean-shaven chin. There was not an ounce of superfluous flesh on his frame, and his voice and manner were those of the decided, resolute, masterful man of business. He pointed to a capacious leather chair and said concisely, "'What's your business with me, boy?' Dan had carefully thought out a statement of facts beforehand, but every word had vanished from his memory. He had only a confused, desperate consciousness that he had a theft to confess and that it must be done as soon as possible. He did not sit down. "'Please, Mr. Walters,' he began desperately. I came to tell you, your notice, I never saw it before, and I've been fishing on your pond all summer, but I didn't know. Honest, I've brought you all I caught today, and I'll pay back for them all, sometime. An amused, puzzled expression crossed Mr. Walter's non-committal face. He pushed the leather chair forward. Sit down, my boy, he said kindly. I don't quite understand this somewhat mixed-up statement of yours. You've been fishing on my pond, you say? Didn't you see my notice in the advertiser? Dan sat down more composedly. 
The revelation was over, and he was still alive. No, sir. We hardly ever see an advertiser, and nobody told me. I'd always been used to fishing there, and I never thought but what it was all right to keep on. I know I ought to have remembered and asked you, but truly, sir, I didn't mean to steal your fish. I used to sell them over at the hotels. We saw the notice today, mother and me, and I came right up. I've brought you the trout I caught this morning, and if only you won't prosecute me, sir, I'll pay back every cent I got for the others. Every cent, sir, if you'll give me time. Mr. Walters passed his hand across his mouth to conceal something like a smile. Your name is Dan Phillips, isn't it? he said irrelevantly. And you live with your mother, the widow Phillips, down there at Carlton Corners, I understand. Yes, sir said Dan, wondering how Mr. Walters knew so much about him, and if these were the preliminaries of prosecution. Mr. Walters took up his pen and drew a blank sheet towards him. "'Well, Dan, I put that notice in because I found that many people who used to fish on my pond, irrespective of leave or license, were accustomed to lunch or camp on my property, and did not a little damage. I don't care for trouting myself. I've no time for it. However, I hardly think you'll do much damage. You can keep on fishing there. I'll give you a written permission, so that if any of my men see you, they won't interfere with you. As for these trout here, I'll buy them from you at Mosquito Lake prices, and will say no more about the matter. How will that do? Thank you, sir, stammered Dan. He could hardly believe his ears. He took the slip of paper Mr. Walters handed to him and rose to his feet. "'Wait a minute, Dan. How was it you came to tell me this? You might have stopped your depredations, and I should not have been any the wiser.' "'That wouldn't have been honest, sir,' said Dan, looking squarely at him. There was a brief silence. Mr. Walters thrummed meditatively on the table. Dan waited wonderingly. Finally, the factory owner said abruptly, "'There's a vacant place for a boy down here. I want it filled as soon as possible. Will you take it?' "'Mr. Walters! Me?' Dan thought the world must be turning upside down. "'Yes, you. You are rather young, but the duties are not hard or difficult to learn. I think you'll do. I was resolved not to fill that place until I could find a perfectly honest and trustworthy boy for it. I believe I have found him. I discharged the last boy because he lied to me about some trifling offense, for which I would have forgiven him if he told the truth.' I can bear with incompetency, but falsehood and deceit I cannot and will not tolerate, he said, so sternly that Dan's face paled. I am convinced that you are incapable of either. Will you take the place, Dan? I will if you think I can fill it, sir. I'll do my best. Yes, I believe you will. Perhaps I know more about you than you think. Businessmen must keep their eyes open. We'll regard this matter as settled, then. Come up tomorrow at eight o'clock, and one word more, Dan. You have perhaps heard that I am an unjust and hard master. I am not the former, and you will never have occasion to find me the latter if you are always as truthful and straightforward as you've been today. You might easily have deceived me in this matter. That you did not do so is the best and only recommendation I require. Take those trout up to my house and leave them. That will do. Good afternoon. Dan somehow got his dazed self through the glass door and out of the building. 
The whole interview had been such a surprise to him that he was hardly sure whether or not he had dreamed it all. "'I feel as if I were some person else,' he said to himself, as he started down the hot white road. But mother was right. I'll stick to her motto. I wonder what Sam will say to this. End of A Case of Trespass Recording by Jadopi www.publicdomainaudiobooks.blogspot.com